Amen. Good morning and Merry Christmas. It is after Thanksgiving, so it's now socially acceptable to greet each other by saying Merry Christmas. And I plan on like milking that for all it's worth all the way up until December 25th. And then maybe even then some like afterwards, because you can't just turn off your holly jolly Christmas spirit like a switch, right? Uh, I'm so glad that you guys are here. I'm excited to worship with y'all. If y'all don't know me, my name is Jeannie Balzer. I am the children's pastor here. And so um, the kids in the room, they're probably used to seeing me um, back in kids' worship. But it is the first Sunday of the month today. And on the first Sunday, we do this thing called family worship, where we keep our kids in the room because we value worshiping together as a family. We want kids to grow up knowing that this is their church too, that they have just as much a place here. Kids, we're so excited you're here. We've planned for you to be here. And so if you didn't get an engagement bag on your way in, there's some by each door with your grown-up's permission, you can go and grab one. Um, I do want to clarify, we do still have our early childhood classes going, so that's kindergarten and younger, but also those kids are also welcome here. Like, we live all ages, um, so I just wanted to let everybody know um, we're glad to have our kids in the room this morning for family worship. And I'm excited to get to bring the word. Um, I am not Pastor Kyle. Um, You might... I don't, I know I might, yeah. Okay, um, I was trying to make a joke. I'm not good at making jokes on the fly like, like the guys on staff are. Um, but I wanted to let you guys know, it's a privilege to get to share this info. It's good news. Um, Pastor Kyle, many of y'all know, recently just had um, hip surgery. And so I wanted to let you guys know an update that he is home. He is doing really well. His recovery is going really well. And so it's good news that I get to share this morning. Uh, we're still praying for him in his recovery. Um, but but we're excited. He's doing really good. Um, and so I'm sure he's watching online. Hey, I, uh, others that are watching online, we're glad you guys are here this morning. Um, we're starting a new series today, our Christmas series. So again, it's fitting that I greeted you with Merry Christmas because we're starting our Christmas series. And our Christmas series is called Here's What Happened. Here's what happened in the Christmas story. And it's an incredible story when you think about it. When you think about all of the details of the Christmas story, when you think about who God chose to be a part of his story, he chose like a teenager. He chose the shepherds, the lowest of the lows. When you think about how all of the details work together and how prophecies were fulfilled, it's an incredible story. And it's a story we're gonna get to look at the next several weeks. And I want to ask you guys, though, talking about stories, and and it's the holiday time. We just finished Thanksgiving, getting ready for Christmas. Often when families get together, every family tends to have a storyteller in it. Can you guys think of who the storyteller is in your family? That person that every family gathering, they're like, let me tell you about way back when, or let me tell you about what happened. Like, let me tell you this story. And if the storyteller in your family is anything like the storyteller in my family, Maybe their memory isn't the best, and they tend to repeat the same stories over and over and over. Can anybody relate to that, right? You've heard the same stories thousands of times. They're like, let me tell you what happened. Here's what happened. And you're like, I know what happened. You've told me this story a thousand times. 
You might feel that way about the Christmas story, right? I know what happens in the Christmas story. I've heard it a thousand times. And, and it's the same story every year. It's the same scriptures we're going to be reading, you know, the first couple of chapters of Luke, the first couple of chapters of Matthew. Um, it is the same story, but there's still value in looking at what happens in this story. There's still value in repeating and remembering it. For one, it'd be the height of hubris to say, like, because we've heard the story before, because we've read it before, we know everything that there is to know. There's nothing new we can learn. There's nothing new we need to be reminded of, nothing new that God can reveal to us because we know what happens. Well, that's not true. We can still learn more. We maybe need to be reminded of things, or we can still learn something new from the story by revisiting it each year. There's a reason we tell the same story each year. And it's also good just to gather as a family and to say, like, in our family, this is what we do. We remember what God has done. We take the time to tell the stories of what God has done. There is value in that. So we're going to look again at this Christmas story this year, and we're going to start with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And it starts in Luke chapter 1. And so this is a rather long story. It's like most of Luke chapter 1. We're not going to read the whole chapter this morning, but if you want to follow along, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to summarize parts, and we're going to read parts, if that's okay with you guys. I hope so, because I have a microphone, and I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> so Luke chapter 1 starts with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, Zechariah was a priest, and he comes from the priestly line of Aaron. All of Aaron's descendants, right, made up the priests, and there's a bunch of them, so they didn't always live and work at the temple, always do the priestly duties. They kind of took shifts, took turns, and once it was Zechariah's turn to go to the temple to do his priestly duties, to work, and each day, they would select one priest to go in and to burn the incense and to pray to God. So when it's Zechariah's turn to be on shift, right, he's there, he's working, he gets selected to go in and to offer um, his prayer to God and to burn the incense. And while he's in there, he's visited by the angel Gabriel, who tells him, hey, your prayer's been heard. God is going to give you a son. Here's what it says in verse 11. It says, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. I would be too. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Your prayer is going to be answered. You're going to have a son, and he's going to have this great holy purpose right? It's been, it's been quiet for 400 years and a new prophet is coming that's going to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. Your prayers will be answered. You're going to have a son. 
Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth, we know scripture tells us that they were righteous in the eyes of God, right? They were godly people, but they were childless, which was kind of a big deal back then um, because the family unit, the family structure was the main social structure for their culture. So if you didn't have kids, you were going against that common like cultural social structure and often like you were shamed and you were um, like judged for that, judged for the fact that you didn't have kids. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they wanted kids. They prayed for a child, but it got to the point where they were well along in years. They were too old, past the age to have babies. So naturally, Zechariah questions how this is going to happen. In verse 18, he says, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. He's a smart man. He doesn't call his wife old. He says that she's well along in years. And I, I think that the scripture is translated this way solely for the purpose that pastors can make this joke, that Zechariah was a smart man for not calling his wife old. Right? She's well along in years. Then the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So Zechariah comes out after this encounter, and all the people, like, they're like, ooh, something went down in there because Zechariah's not talking, right? He's like making hand motions, he can't speak. And the story goes on. He finishes his um, duty serving in the temple. He finishes up and he goes back home. And Elizabeth does become pregnant. And in verses 24 and 25, it talks about how she was remained in seclusion for five months, but she continued to praise and worship God. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. And these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, Elizabeth was really old. She was past, well past the age for having babies. So I think it's safe to assume that this probably was not a very easy pregnancy. Okay, not an easy pregnancy. Um, we've had a lot of babies born in our church this year, and I feel like you could ask any of those parents, and they'll tell you pregnancy already is not an easy thing. Like, it's a hard thing. Your body's going through a lot of changes. It is hard on moms. It's hard on, like, the whole family, right? But then Elizabeth also has all of these added struggles on top of that. She has lived her whole life being shamed and judged for the fact that she didn't have a baby and I'm sure that judgment didn't just magically stop, right? Like, she's still living. Goodness, I'm so sorry. I don't normally use a microphone when I'm talking to the kids. I use my teacher voice. Um, so they're just used to me hollering at them. I'll try to stay still. Um, so she's uh, been shamed her whole life, living in that judgment. She also, her husband can't talk to her, right? Can you imagine that? Adding another level of difficulty when your husband can't speak to you. And then it says that she's well along in years, she's old, and she's remained in seclusion for five months. 
She's by herself. Maybe that was for prayer and meditation. Maybe that was Bible, like, bed rest, right? Like, the Bible time equivalent of bed rest because it probably was a high-risk pregnancy because she's so old. Uh, But all of these things contribute to what I would imagine is a very difficult time for Elizabeth. And I want to pause to acknowledge that sometimes we pray and we pray and we pray for things. And then God answers our prayers but it's still really hard. Or he answers our prayers and it's not what we expect and it's something that's difficult to walk through. I imagine Elizabeth praying, God, I know I've prayed for this. I know I asked for this, but this is really hard. It's okay to say that. It's okay to acknowledge that. That sometimes the things we pray for, sometimes the way that God is working in our lives can be really hard. But we have to remember that God not only answers our prayers, he's also a God who continues to be with us through, throughout the entirety, throughout the whole answer, right? He continues to provide. He continues to sustain us. And Elizabeth continued to rely on God to sustain and provide for her and continued to praise him. See, it's easy to forget who it is that's answering our prayers, right? God answers our prayers. Often we pray for something, and then it happens, and we're like, okay, that's great, and we move on. Or we pray for something, and it doesn't happen, and we're like, oh, okay, and we move on. Or we pray for something, and something happens that it's different than what we had planned, or it's different, or it's difficult, and we start to question and doubt God. Like, God, what is going on? What are you doing, right? And we forget who it is that's answering our prayers, who it is that is at work in our lives, that it's the God of the universe who knows us, who cares for us, and who's at work, right? He is uh, the God who cares and who answers our prayers, and he um, does that out of his love for us, but it's often not in ways that we expect. Now, I want to be careful talking about prayer that I don't Um, that we don't get this idea that prayer is this transaction between us and God, right? Like, okay, I'm going to say, like, God, if you do this, then I'll do that. Or God, I want you to do this, and then I'll do X, Y, Z, right? Or we see God often as like a genie granting wishes. I'm a genie. My name is genie. I'm not a magical genie. I don't grant wishes. Um, And neither is God. God is not a genie who grants wishes, right? He's not a vending machine that you put in your quarters of prayer and out pops out whatever it is that you're praying for, right? God doesn't work that way. Rather, he's a God who desires a relationship with us. And prayer is a tool for relationship. Prayer is a tool for relationship with God. It's a way that we talk to and grow closer to God. God wants to hear what we're praying for. He wants to hear what's going on in our lives, the desires of our hearts, the brokenness we're walking through, all of it. He wants to hear it because he cares about you, because he loves you, because he wants that relationship with you. That is why we pray. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth lived righteous lives in pursuit of that right relationship with God. Now, this is the first part of the story, right? The first part of the story um, that all of this happens. And God answers their prayers, but not necessarily in the way that they planned, right? Um, 
Okay, so we've had a lot of babies born. I love every time I see new newborn photos on Instagram, and I think often um, parents will caption their newborn photos. And if you've done this, I'm not judging. Like, I love it. I'll probably do it too someday. They caption their newborn photos with the Bible verse, 1 Samuel 1, 27, like, for this child, I have prayed. Have you heard that verse? Have you seen it connected to, like, a baby picture? Um, I imagine Elizabeth, you know, she didn't have Instagram back then, um, but I imagine, you know, her captioning her baby photo with this, for this child, I have prayed, and he grew up to eat bugs. (laughs) You guys realize that's who we're talking about is John the Baptist. He grew up to eat bugs. For this child, I have prayed, but it was really hard. The pregnancy was really hard. For this child, I have prayed, but it was different than I planned or expected, right? I wasn't as young as I thought maybe I would be, and so I couldn't play with him the way that I wanted to, or things, I wasn't around for all of his adult life because I was still already too old, right? For this child, I have prayed, and he grew up to eat bugs, right? After first service, um, Pastor Matt's mom came up to me and was like, you know, with Pastor Matt, for this child, I have prayed. And I was like, and he grew up to eat bugs. I don't know. He, he gave me permission to tell you guys this, that he's eaten a bug before. I think, was it a cricket? Yeah. So for this child, I prayed. He grew up to eat bugs, right? Not necessarily what they had planned, what they expected, but we can acknowledge God's plans are greater than our plans, right? Like God had a holy purpose in mind for John, um, for this family, and we can submit and just say, you know, it doesn't have to be according to our plans. We can trust you, God. So this is the first part of the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And the story goes on throughout the rest of chapter one. It goes on to talk about how um, the angel visits Mary and says to Mary, hey, you're going to have a baby. His name's going to be Jesus. Spoiler alert. Um, we're going to talk about that next week. So come back. We'll talk about Mary. But he, the angel visits Mary, and then Mary comes to visit Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, still pregnant with John at the time, John like leaps in the womb when Mary shows up. Like before he's even born, he is announcing the coming of the Messiah, this holy purpose that God has for him. And then the story goes on, and Elizabeth gives birth to the baby. And everyone's like, oh, you know, I imagine. He's so cute. Like what a cute baby. Congratulations. What are you going to name him? She says, his name is John. I'm like, John? John? You're going to name him John? Like, are you sure? You don't want to name him like a family name? Or you name him for his father? Like, you're going to name him John? They're like, we better check with Zechariah. So they go to Zechariah, and they're like, Zechariah, what are you going to name your son? And he writes it down, because remember, he can't speak. He writes down, his name is John. And immediately, he's able to speak again, right? God's promises had come true, and then he was able to speak. And his name is John. And everybody celebrates, you know, it's a happy ending, all of that. Uh, Everybody celebrates. And the whole point, all of the parts of this story are a testament to God's goodness. When they would say, here's what happened, they would say it like, here's what God is doing, Here is what God has done. In the middle of their brokenness, even in their brokenheartedness, Zechariah and Elizabeth were still living righteous lives and still praising and trusting God. 
Now that's easier said than done, right? Continuing to praise and trust God even in the middle of our brokenness and brokenheartedness. Zechariah and Elizabeth, their brokenness was their inability to have a child, right? They longed for, they prayed for a child. And in their culture, there was shame associated with not having a child, with this unanswered prayer that they had. Now, I want to clarify, Zechariah and Elizabeth weren't broken because they didn't have a child, but rather they were stuck dealing with the effects of living in a world that's been broken by sin. And we're all living in a world that's been broken by sin. So what is your brokenness that you're bringing in with you this morning? What's the thing that's been on your heart, the thing that's been burdening you, the thing that you've been praying for, that you've been talking to God about? What is the thing that the effects of sin has a hold on your life? Maybe like Zechariah and Elizabeth, You also know the struggle of praying for, of desiring a child, and not not being able to have a baby. It's a heartbreaking struggle, I'm sure. Maybe you're facing difficulties in a relationship between, between you and your spouse, between maybe you and your parents, or your grown children, or even your not grown children. Like, maybe there's a struggle in a relationship in your family. And we all love the holidays when all the families get together and it stirs up all of that, like, family drama, right? Maybe you or a loved one has been sick and you've been praying deeply and daily for healing, Maybe you're praying through addiction or through depression or anxiety or something else. And it's real easy for me to stand up here and rattle off a list of hypothetical brokenness, right? Except that it's not hypothetical. Like, it's real. Brokenness is real. We're living in a world broken by sin. For you, for me, like, look around. For the people in this room... This is our daily reality. Like, we all are walking through a world broken by sin. We all have the effects of that brokenness that we have to deal with. And just like Zechariah and Elizabeth experienced shame in their childlessness, we too let shame creep in. And we believe the lie that there is shame in our unanswered prayers. How many of you have heard or thought these things before? I am not worthy. I'm just going to pause there. I am not worthy. I'm not worthy for God to hear my prayers. I'm not worthy for God to care about me, to answer my prayers. Why would he care about this thing? Because my prayer has gone unanswered for so long, I must be unfavored by God. Obviously, this is still a struggle for me, or I'm still waiting for an answer because my prayers must lack faith. I just need to pray more or pray harder. Have you heard that one before? There must be some secret sin or reason that God is not answering my prayer. Have you heard or thought these things? Friends, these are all lies. There is no shame 
in our unanswered prayers. So we cannot listen to the lies that we aren't good enough or worthy or faithful or favored. God's favor is on you. Zechariah and Elizabeth's childlessness was not a result of a lack of God's favor. It was a result of living in a world that's been broken by sin. You know, we just finished our By Our Love series the last several weeks. We've been talking about the church, you know, loving people well, loving people the way that Jesus teaches us to love, right? And I think the church often has kind of missed the mark on loving people well in their brokenness. Maybe unintentionally, right, we often contribute to these lies of shame. And we say things like, Oh, just keep praying. Your prayers must lack faith. Uh, Just trust God. Trust God's timing. Like, God has a plan. God's going to do something. Um, It's just, it's God's will or it's not God's will. Like, we say things like that all the time. And while none of those comments are inherently bad or wrong, they can be potentially dangerous to someone who's walking through brokenness because they implicitly communicate the fault of our brokenness, the thing that we're walking through, they implicitly place that blame on God, right? Like we're walking through brokenness because it's God's will or because we're unfavored by God or we're waiting on God to decide to do something. And if he doesn't decide to do something, it's because he doesn't care about us or we're unfavored or we're not faithful enough or those other lies that shame tries to convince us to believe, When God is not to blame for our brokenness, sin is. So where is God then? Where is God in our suffering? I believe he grieves with us. God grieves with us in our brokenness. He is with us in the heartache and the hardships. He's a God that sees us. He's a God that knows what it's like. This week we're starting Advent. Advent starts with the theme, the message of hope. And at Christmas time we talk about Jesus coming, right? This message of hope, Jesus comes, Emmanuel. Pastor Garrett picked great songs this morning. I don't even tell him. It's like the Holy Spirit working, right? He sang, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus gets it. He's experienced all of these emotions that we feel, right? He had anger and he felt fear and he dealt with loss and he had to deal with difficult people. And while Jesus was without sin, he still was living in a world broken by sin. He gets it. You see, God cares that the world is broken by sin, That's why he sent Jesus. If he didn't care, he would have just been like, oh, oh well, that's too too bad. That's not what God does. He is with us in our grieving. He cares so much that he sent his son to die on the cross. That's how much God cares. And what a great message of hope this morning, even in our brokenness, right? God cares about our brokenness. 
and he wants to do incredible things. And he's already done the most incredible thing through Jesus's work on the cross, right? Jesus and his work on the cross accomplished what was necessary to defeat our brokenness. But God also wants to do incredible things in us and through us. He wants us and our stories that when we tell people, here's what happened, to testify to God's goodness, even in our brokenness. So I want to transition from this theme of brokenness and shame to God's favor. Let's transition our thinking from dwelling in the brokenness to recognizing and seeing God's favor in it. Coming back to the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, they continued to live righteous lives. Even all those years of their childlessness, of their judgment and shame of the world around them, you know, making fun of them or judging them for not having a kid, even through all of the heartache, you know, I think about like every baby shower they were invited to, every birth announcement, all of that. In all of that, they continued to trust God. They continued to live righteous lives. In verse 6, it talks about how they were righteous in the eyes of God. They continued to believe that God was with them and they trusted him. So I want to redefine what we understand when we talk about God's favor. Because it would have been easy for Zechariah and Elizabeth to perceive their childlessness as God withholding favor. That favor wasn't shown until later when baby John was born. But that's not the reality. The reality was God's favor was always on them from the beginning. Even in their years of suffering and childlessness, God was with them. In Zechariah's silence, God used him as a testament to his power and his fulfilled promises. And that can begin to sound a little bit like one of those like pad Christian answers, like God can use your story of suffering which is a cliche, and it's, it's true. God can use your story of suffering, but that's not always beneficial to hear when you're walking through suffering. Um, so I want us to change our mindset then from story of suffering to still favored by God. What if we saw our situation, we saw God's favor in our stories? We are still favored by God. He is with us in the brokenness. He grieves with us. I don't know why some prayers get answered the way that we want um, and that others don't. I don't know why sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is wait. Sometimes the answer is something completely different than what we plan or we expect or we desire. I don't know why that is. I can't begin to understand and comprehend the full mysteries of God. So we have to remember, even in the mystery, we remember though that God is with us. I do know that. We remember that God's favor is on us and that we can trust him. Our story of suffering does not equate to a lack of God's favor. Our story of suffering does not equate 
Your brokenness does not mean that there is a lack of God's favor. God is still with you. You can trust him. He grieves with you. He gets it. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus sent to live and die and raise again to redeem what was broken by sin. God wants to do incredible things. The most incredible thing was Jesus coming, redeeming us. And we can trust him. And we can praise him for that work that Christ did on the cross. So sometimes, you know, in our prayers, we may not get the baby. We may not get the healing. We may not get whatever it is we're asking for. But what we do get every single time is Jesus. Jesus is what we get. And he is enough. Part of a growth in grace, part of like spiritual maturity is being able to say and believe, not just say, but believe these words. Jesus is enough. And it's hard sometimes to do that. I acknowledge often my prayer life consists of just, God, I pray that you would help me to say and believe that you are enough. Lord, help me to want you more than I want whatever it is. Help me to trust you even in the uncertainty of unanswered prayers. And Lord Jesus, would you just be enough? We're all still growing in our faith and growing in our contentment in Jesus. So when Jesus is the only answer that you, ha- that you get, you have to remember that you are still favored by God. God is with you, and you can trust him. I don't know what your brokenness is. I don't know what it is you've been praying for, how you want it to work out, or what God's going to do. But I do know with certainty that God is with you, and you can trust him. He's at work in your lives. He's maybe working in unexpected ways. He does that. (laughs) When the Messiah came, he came in unexpected ways. Think about when Jesus came. The people were expecting a military or political leader to ride in on a big horse with a pointy sword to overthrow the Roman Empire. And that's not what they got. Instead, they got a baby who was born in a barn, who grew up to be a servant king, who washed people's stinky feet, who taught to be the greatest, you have to be the least, who hung out with the sinners, with the outcasts, with the lost, the lonely, the least of these, the people that nobody talked to or liked. That's who Jesus went to. And then he went to the cross and he died. That was not what people were expecting. And we have the privilege to know that that's not the end of the story, right? On the third day, Jesus was raised back to life, defeating death and defeating all brokenness and sin on the cross. And he did that so that our story could be like this. Here's here's what happened. Let me tell you. I was broken by sin, But Jesus redeemed what was broken. And he did that because he loves me. 
And even when I still walk through and live in a world that's affected by brokenness and affected by sin, I can trust God and he is with me even in the hard stuff. So I can continue to trust him. This morning we have the opportunity to respond in communion. So I want to invite the band to come back up and invite you to grab your communion elements. If you didn't get it on your way in and you didn't get it when we ran out, we restocked the buckets. You can get up and go get uh, your juice and your cracker. (laughs) We have the opportunity to respond in communion and to remember Christ's body broken for us. Remember his blood shed for us so that he could restore what was broken. In 1 Corinthians 11, we read that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's eat the bread and remember Christ's body broken for you because God cared that the world was broken by sin. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice together and remember Christ's blood shed for us. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your body broken, Jesus, and your blood that was shed for each of us. We thank you that you are not content to let us go on living in a world that was broken by sin, that Lord, in your love and your care for us, you decided to redeem what was broken, that your love took you all the way to the cross for us. God, we come to you with the brokenness in our lives. We come to you with the effects of sin, the things that are happening, the things that we're praying for, the things that are burdening our hearts, and we trust you with them. Lord, would you help our prayers to be that you, Jesus, are enough. God, I pray that when those words are hard to believe for us, that you would bring people alongside to encourage us, that we would testify, that we would believe those words as the body of believers, Lord, that you, Jesus, are enough. We praise you and we thank you for what you've done for us. God, we thank you for Emmanuel, God with us. Would you make us aware of your presence, of your love, that there is nowhere we go that is outside of your presence or your love, God. That even in our heartache and in our brokenness, you're there with us. Help us to feel and know that you are with us. God, help us to continue to rely on you. God, we thank you and we praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.